Uh, Father God, please uh, meet us tonight with kindness. Uh, Through your word that was just read out, we do pray you could help uh, us by your spirit understand how you would have us live, um, how we could be faithfully um, humbling ourselves before this word and seeking to serve you tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if it's too cynical, but I'm kind of assuming that all of your New Year's resolutions have been kind of kaput by now. Uh, But I'm still going to ask the question, what does Jesus want for us this year? I think it's an important question. I've been thinking about it a lot as I've been reading through this passage throughout the week. Uh, Because Jesus, he gives us such a strong vision uh, for what's good for us, for a life of joy and hope, how to thrive in him this year. And it's helpful that he does that because uh, far too often for so many of us, we ourselves don't know what's good for us. I'm going to give you three quick examples. Uh, I think it's true with money. According to the Harvard study of adult development, the world's longest study on happiness, it says there can be a correlation between money and happiness, but only insofar as it provides for your basic needs. But it says beyond that, there seems to be no link at all between more money and more happiness. And yet for so many of us, so much of our lives is driven by the pursuit of more money. I think it's true with our phones. I know a lot of people are always picking on the poor teenagers, uh, and I just want to say this is applying to everyone here, but it just happens to be a study on teens. But I read an article from the Atlantic Monthly. It talked about a study that asked 12th graders more than 1,000 questions every year since 1975, and the results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, and those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities, like exercise, hanging out with friends, those kind of things, are more likely to be happy. And it said this, there's not a single exception in this study. All screen activities are linked to less happiness, and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. Does that surprise you? Because the weird thing for me was, in my experience, it didn't actually surprise me very much at all. And yet, for many of us, including myself, so much of our lives is shaped around our smartphones. Or one example, uh, just anecdotally, think of that moment when you've been longing for a day off or a morning off for weeks. You've been panting to just get a bit of me time, a bit of time off. And what do you do when you finally get that me time? If you're anything like me, you waste it by watching junk, by eating junk, by not doing nearly enough of the things you know are good and healthy for you. That freedom of I can do anything today makes you do nothing helpful. So why are we like that? Why do we do things that we know don't make us happy and neglect things that we know do? Now, they're just three quick examples, uh, money, smartphones, how we spend our me time. And if any of those resonate with you, I think it's good because Jesus speaks right into that this evening. In this passage, he gives us a clear vision for what is good for us of how to live a vibrant life full of joy and full of purpose. So we're just going to go through the start of John 15 uh, this evening, seeing how Jesus calls us to abide in four things this year, in the vine in the pruning, in his word, 
and in his love. So first up, Jesus calls us to abide in the vine. Where in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Now, if you've been reading John's gospel up until this point, this is the seventh time that Jesus says something starting with, I am, the seventh and final time. Now, of course, I am was God's name for himself in the Old Testament, so every time Jesus said that, everyone understood Jesus was saying, I am God. But also the rest of the verse, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, Jesus is also referencing another passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah 5. We won't read it out, but the passage, uh, it talks about God singing a song over his people, where he talks about them as if they are a vineyard he's planted, but he only gets worthless grapes, and so he removes it. It's an image of Israel in the Old Testament times. So this isn't a new image, uh, but Jesus, he's interpreting it in a new way. He's saying, I am the true vine. I am where that story was pointing. Israel, they didn't produce the fruit that God wanted, but I will. I am the only place where you can produce that eternal fruit of God. And that's why Jesus says, abide in me. Keep trusting in me. Keep finding your life in me because there's nowhere else that you will find life. There's no other vine where you can find that eternal fruit. But that doesn't mean that if you're living in the vine that it's going to be easy. Jesus actually says whether or not you're in him, God is going to get his holy secretaries to work on you. He says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So who's God going to get the shears to work on? To everyone who's in Christ and to everyone who's not in Christ. By my calculations, that's pretty much everyone. But to each, it's going to look very different. Jesus says that to those who don't produce fruit, God will remove. But to those who do, God will prune them so they will be even more fruitful. Now, if you don't know what's going on here, this pruning would, of course, look wasteful. The secretaries never feel like a good thing, but that's what actually produces the fruit. Cutting off and pruning, they're both painful, but both are done for the health and fruitfulness of the vine. Now, I know at this point a few of your brains will be pinging, uh, so it's just worth having a little side note to remember this is a metaphor, a word picture, So it's kind of meant to, like every metaphor, make one or two points. Every detail isn't meant to map directly onto reality. So for instance, it's pretty clear we aren't meant to read this and think, if Jesus is the vine and God is pruning him, that means God has to prune Jesus. We're not meant to read it and assume that. Nor are we meant to read this and think, if the gardener is God, Jesus is the vine, that must mean they're separate. Jesus talks about all throughout John, I and the Father are one. Jesus gets all of his life from the Father. They're not separate, as it might look in the metaphor on first glance. Because we aren't meant to connect every dot too sharply. And just because I know a few of you are thinking about it, I also don't think we're meant to read this and think, people can be in Christ 
then not be fruitful enough, then be cut off from Christ. This passage isn't meant to fill us with doubts about whether we're going to be cut off from Jesus at any moment. Even if we just look in John's Gospel, Jesus, he actually says the opposite quite clearly a couple of times. He says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. And he says, I will give them eternal life, they will never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand. If we trust in Jesus, if we are in Christ, living on the vine, if we receive eternal life, then Christ won't let us go. So please don't misunderstand Jesus here. You can't have eternal life and then lose it. Which we can see even more uh, when Jesus says this in John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. So abide in me is a command. He's saying, remain in me, live in me, keep trusting in me. But the second half there, and I in you, that's not a command, that's a promise. And that's how God works all throughout the Bible. He gives us a command, follow me, abide in me, trust your life to me, but with it, he also gives us a promise. I in you. I will pursue you, I will do everything for you because you can't do it for yourself. Everything we have, every bit of trust, every bit of goodwill is from God anyway. So we can't give anything to God to earn our salvation or life on the vine. I know all of us think this kind of way automatically. It's kind of human to think that we want to do good things to earn God's favor. But it says here that we can't do anything. We need the new life from Jesus, from the vine, And only then can we begin to do good works. The fruit doesn't give the branch life, but it tells you if it's alive and thriving. In the same way, if we bear fruit, we don't then grow in how loved we are. The second that you trust in Jesus, you are as consumed in God's love as you ever will be. That's why it says the word abide and not grow. But when God gets to work on us, when he prunes us, it, of course, isn't easy. So when we're abiding in the vine, we need to abide in the pruning as well. Because sometimes God is most powerfully at work in our lives in all of those places where we'd like to think that they would get lost as quickly as possible from our lives. In those parts of our lives when we think, if only this wasn't interrupting my life, If only I could get past this thing, if only this wasn't hurting me so much, then I could serve God. It's precisely in those places that God says he's at work to grow you the most deeply. That's what Jesus means when he says he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. When you prune a branch, it makes it draw on the vine to grow, to make it more healthy. So those places where we need to draw on Christ, to draw on his life, because we are absolutely aware that we can't do this on our own, that we need his strength to get us through. I'm sure there were moments like that for you last year. I'm sure there will be moments like that for you this year. But Jesus, he's saying to us, especially in those moments, abide in me. When everything seems to be too much, 
draw on the vine for strength. He's calling us to set aside everything else that we're drawing life from and to draw from him instead. So when you're tired, when you're anxious, when you're feeling low, where do you run? I know it's so easy to run to those places of escape, to forget about those stresses for a little bit. But if that's the only place that you run, you aren't really facing those difficult things in your life, you aren't facing Christ. So those ultimately won't be places where you'll find life. So what would it look like for you to run to the face of Christ instead? And you might notice the word there at the end of the reading, verse 11, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And that might be surprising. He's talking about how he's going to prune you, how it's going to be really painful, but you're going to grow. And he says, this is going to be a joyful thing, which might be surprising. But the strange thing is, almost every time the Bible talks about suffering, it speaks just like this. Just one more example, it's in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Joy of this world can only last as long as this world, but true joy is tethered to eternal fruit. Now, of course, none of these passages is saying that we need to grieve with a smile or feel happy when we feel sad. But it is saying that no matter how hard-pressed you might be feeling from griefs and losses of this world, if you're in the vine, those hurts are never meaningless. And God is drawing you into love and comfort and the life of Christ, even in those places. If your job, family, friendship, financial security, whatever, falls apart, of course that hurts terribly, but if you're in Jesus, those things will make you bore deeper into the well of Jesus and his life. As awful, as evil as those things might be, God can work in even those places to grow you, to set down your roots in eternity. So abide in the vine, abide in the pruning, Next up, Jesus, he calls us to abide in his word. Jesus, he just said one of the main ways that we grow in him is through God pruning us, but thankfully that's not the only way because another way he talks about is through abiding in his word. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, of course, this isn't like a genie with three wishes. It's not a magic lamp. Uh, in the last chapter, Jesus, he kind of clarified what he means when he says stuff like this. He said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So those two little caveats are pretty important when we're reading this passage. First up, ask for anything that will bear eternal fruit that will help prove to be his disciples. Second up, ask for anything in his name. Which doesn't just mean you have to name drop Jesus at the end of your prayers, then you'll have a blank check. It means pray the kind of things that Jesus would be happy signing his name to. 
the things that are according to his will. And if we're abiding in God's word, we'll know a little bit more clearly, more instinctively, what those things are. What God would want out of a situation or a relationship or a big decision in our lives, we start to care about the things that God cares about. But also when we read the Bible, we let the Bible read us. Our hearts are open before it, it draws out our desires, our fears, our sins to the surface so that we can easily bring them before our Father in prayer. Then God says if we ask him, he will work powerfully through those prayers to bear eternal fruit in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. So if you've been feeling spiritually dry for a while, if you've been feeling distant from God, this passage is speaking right into your heart. Uh, I'm gonna, there's a quick prayer that I've written on the screen there. Um, I'm gonna say that quick prayer. The, the talk isn't over, I've still got one more point to go, but just a little intermission, if you wanna join in on this prayer, if you feel like it's speaking to you, uh, echo it in your hearts, or feel free to take a photo and pray it for yourself uh, throughout the week or this year. So I'm just gonna pray that for those of you who'd like to join in now. Heavenly Father, Help me to see that you're always with us. May your spirit draw us nearer to you and your ways. Please encourage us. Come alongside us tenderly. Give us hope. Give us every reason to go forward in life because we know that you are with us and you will not forsake us. You're the end of all our hopes and fears and longings. We trust in you and rest in you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we abide... We pray, and when we pray, we abide. When we pray prayers like this one, feel free to write whatever you would like, whatever would be helpful for you to uh, be bringing your dryness and your lack of sense of God before God. Uh, but that's an example of the kind of prayer that you can pray to draw on the vine for life for ourselves and for those around us. Uh, the last point, uh, abide, in the vine, abide in the pruning, abide in my word. Finally, abide in my love. Last up, Jesus, he says this, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So now we're outside of that vine metaphor. Jesus, he's speaking plainly. He's giving us an explanation of kind of what he was doing in that metaphor. And it's just about the most surprising statement you could ever hear. Jesus says, just like the eternal Father loved the everlasting Son, that's how I love you. And if this is how much Jesus loved us, this is how much Jesus showed that he loved us like this, that in spite of the Father loving him this much, he was cut off from the Father's love. He was cut off from the vine by dying on the cross to take the punishment for our sins so that we could know life, we could be brought into the vine, we could know a life of abundance, of joy, of hope, of purpose. And if that's how Jesus loves us, then it gives us every encouragement as to why we should abide in his love. Uh, but in doing that, in thinking about that, I've got uh, four images to wrap up, uh, four images of where you might be at in this whole abiding thing. 
what it might look like in your life. Feel free to think about which one relates to you most uh, and how that might shape your prayers and uh, this week, what it might look like for you. Uh, first up, an orchid. Uh, this is from a metaphor that my psychologist likes to tell me frequently. He says, orchids, they're one of the most beautiful flowers, but if they're growing on a sidewalk, they're going to struggle to grow at all. They might look like in that little picture, almost nothing at all. You'll never realize how beautiful they can be. You'll never really see them grow into their full potential. But if you put them in a greenhouse, where they get the proper care and nourishment, they're going to grow into one of the most beautiful flowers around. It's the same plant, but depending on where they're planted, the care they're given, it's going to grow and develop completely differently. So what might it look like for you to be taking one step towards that, uh, whether it's to find some kind of healthy routine of spending time listening and speaking to God every day. Uh, it, it might mean having a season where you take a step back from work, take a day off, find time in your life if you can, uh, where that might happen if you're hard pressed. Or it might mean putting intentional limits on your phone usage, whatever that might look like. Or like um, we're going to hear about soon, what, like we've been hearing about, Dave was saying, our community groups are going to be kicking off soon to walk with other Christians every week this year, to be reading God's word together, praying for each other, supporting each other. That might be a part of your greenhouse this year. It might be worth thinking and praying about this week. Uh, the next image, I think it's important to point out that there are winter seasons for any tree. And that's why the command is tethered to a promise. Of course, there are those fruitful seasons where we feel like we're planted in a rich community where our high school mates or uni group or sports team or close Christian friends, community group, whatever it looks like. We meet and it's an encouragement. It's so easy to deeply connect with them, to share our faith, to pray for one another. But at the same time, there are seasons where it's going to be harder to do that, to be part of that community. Whether friendships have broken down or you get married and have kids or your closest friends have gotten married and have kids and it's hard to stay close or full-time work takes up a lot of your time, you're facing a chronic health issue or you're caring for someone who's facing a chronic health issue, whatever it is, it's important to recognize that you are in that winter season and even that, it's a season. If you're in that winter season, what, when time and energy and relationships are all difficult, then of course that's going to reflect in your sense of spiritual growth, which is kind of the asterisk on that thought before about suffering and growth, uh, because I don't think any of us should be too quick to assume anything about ourselves, let alone other people when it comes to this, because there's every chance that we or they could be in a winter season where it seems like spiritual growth is lacking, but God is actually doing a deeper work for when the springtime comes. Okay, our fourth image. Serena and I are often guilty of neglecting our plants, but one day a few weeks ago after, neither of I could remember watering it in the indefinite past. We walked out, one of our plants looked like that. The day before, I'm pretty sure it had zero redness, zero flowers, but then all of a sudden there were 10, 12 bottle brushes beautifully greeting us by the door. Uh, because sometimes you can't explain how God works. 
Sometimes, even though everything seems to point to this being a place where you might struggle to grow, you aren't being watered, you haven't been showing much fruit lately, sometimes God, he's just really, really kind and gracious. People can come to faith and you can't explain how, but God just brings the fruit. The Spirit works in their heart and life in Christ, at least for this season, seems to be one of life and joy and fruitfulness. And if you're in that season, praise God and don't take it for granted. So the orchid on the sidewalk, the orchid in a greenhouse, the tree in a winter season and the bottle brush, bursting flowers out of nowhere. In the midst of a complex world full of temptations away from abiding in Jesus, in a world of hurts and brokenness, in seasons of winter and abundance, this year abide in Christ, abide in the pruning, abide in his word, abide in his love, whatever that looks like for you, whatever season you're in. Uh, So I'm going to say another prayer this time for all of us that God would be helping us this year to abide in Jesus. It's a prayer Paul prays in Ephesians 3. Just join with me now. I pray that Christ will dwell in each of our hearts through faith. I pray that for every one of us, being rooted and firmly established in love, we might be able to know the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Uh, So I'm going to call the band up for the final song, then I'll get back up and see if you've sent me any questions.